we have to keep in mind that the data that's coming out from ChatGPT and AI can be biased. So we have to use our human touch to make sure that we're being mindful of those biases. Hey, my name is Mallory, and I'm obsessed with helping leaders in the nonprofit space raise money and run their organizations differently. What the Fundraising is a space for real and raw conversations to both challenge and inspire you. Not too long ago, I was in your shoes, uncomfortable with fundraising and unsure of my place in this sector. It wasn't until I started to listen to other experts outside of the fundraising space that I was able to shift my mindset and ultimately shift the way I show up as a leader. This podcast is my way of blending professional and personal development so we as a collective inside the nonprofit sector can feel good about the work we are doing. Join me every week as I interview some of the brightest minds in the personal and professional development space to help you fundamentally change the way you lead and fundraise. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's dive in. Hello, welcome everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Dina Von Chun. Dina, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thanks, Mallory. I'm super excited to be here and I just want to thank you so much for inviting me to talk about this. Like you said, I'm Dina. I am currently a Associate Director of Development at a nonprofit called Students Rising Above and I also um, consult on the side, mainly teaching nonprofits how to optimize AI. And then I also um, work with them to optimize their CRMs. Um, so big into technology, always have um, grew up with it when I, uh, throughout my life, my dad was a huge computer nerd and I've always loved technology. And so thus I love, I incorporated the two, um, nonprofit and um, technology. So I yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, what? I don't know what to say for my bio. Um, <laughs> no, that's great. So you've always been comfortable on the technology side of things. You've also yes. worked in nonprofits where lots of people are not comfortable with the technology thing. I feel like we are seeing this really interesting moment tech adoption in the nonprofit sector has historically been delayed. And I feel like there's this one conversation happening. You know, we're still seeing articles put out like, why is your nonprofit data important? And then we're also seeing Mm -hmm. this robust conversation and urgency around the use of AI. How do you think about like the role AI plays in nonprofit technology and for those nonprofits who maybe are still a little bit behind in their other tech, should they be jumping right into AI? Just like, how does it fit in with that whole conversation? Yeah, I I love that question. And I think I see it in a few ways. So first, like you said, Mallory, I think nonprofits are very slow at adopting new technology. And I think especially AI is very scary for a lot of nonprofits and nonprofit professionals. But with that, I think they have to keep in mind that other nonprofits, especially big ones and other corporations, organizations are adopting this now. And thus, they're going to have a lot more comfortability and a big jump forward um, in comparison to the nonprofits who aren't implementing it now. And why does that matter? It's and a lot of nonprofits, including the one that, that I work with, we're all big on equity. We want to make the world a better place. And so 
if nonprofits are waiting to adopt these technologies such as AI, it's going to impact the communities that they they serve. And and by that I mean a lot of nonprofits are overwhelmed with a lot of the work that they're doing because they wear many hats. A lot of nonprofit professionals wear a lot of hats. And so AI allows them to optimize their their work and allows them to really focus on building the relationships with the community and donors. And so without using that technology that's available to them, they're just cutting themselves short by not help like optimizing their their tools and services. And so that's one part of it. But the other part too, is that we have to make sure that there's this other aspect that I was always on my mind, that the data that's used in AI and GPT is used, um, all that data is from the internet. And as we know, everything from the internet is made by people. And we have been on this ongoing journey of trying to be be more equitable, equitable, and then also this focus on being anti-racist. But previously, that information, our society was racist. Our society is based on a lot of these inequities. And so that's in the internet. And so we have to keep in mind that the data that's coming out from ChatGPT and AI can be biased. So we have to use our human touch to make sure that we're being mindful of those biases. And so that's that's the two folds I, I think I think of when I think of nonprofits. Yes, we want to be optimizing our work so we can focus on making a bigger impact in our communities that we we serve, but also we want to be mindful of that data that it's impacting our communities for the good and not advertently making it uh, having negative impacts on mm. um, our communities. And I can share some examples too, but that's just kind of the gist of what I think. Yeah, no, I really appreciate, I really appreciate you saying that. And it's interesting. I feel like in sometimes data can expand our limiting beliefs about something, right? It can help us see things that we couldn't see through our own bias or that we wouldn't predict through our own bias. And then you're right. There's also all these ways in which it um, reinforces or perpetuates bias because of everything from how the data was collected to in these AI you know, models like ChatGPT pulling from sources that are layered with biases. And so I really appreciate that. I'd love to actually hear a few of the examples that you have around sort of like how this plays out and what are things for nonprofits to really be keeping in mind. Um, Because I think, you know, the term black box is obviously being used around AI in a lot of different ways. But I think there's this fear from a lot of nonprofits around like, I don't know the layers of risk involved in using it. I don't know the harm that I could be causing in using it. And so there's this aversion because it feels like there's so much unknown. So could you just talk us through what are some things to sort of, you know, situations you've seen, but then things for folks to just be watching out for? Yeah, definitely. And I totally get that feeling um, because you don't know what you don't know until you find out, right? And so I think the biggest advice I have for nonprofits is just to be human-centered and also really focused on DEI, DEIB, just because when we're thinking about that and thinking about data in that way, we can consider who's not accounted for. And I, I feel like 
nonprofit professionals are the best at understanding their communities if they're actually talking to them and um, communicating with them. But if that's the case, then they should, one, know whether their community is being included in their data. And then also, if they're gathering this data from AI tools, then they can also see, hopefully see the biases. And one example is like, is if, like, for example, you're gathering data to see who needs your services the most. And so you're gathering that data um AI tools, but the AI tools can be biased in the fact that they may not identify certain communities that people don't talk about. So if a lot of times smaller communities like um I recently discovered I'm actually Southeast Asian um Laotian. And so because I'm Asian, I'm put into the Asian category, but a lot of times my culture, Laotians, which a lot of people don't really know, are not included in that data because we are bunched into the whole Asian population. But if you look specifically at the Laotian community, a lot of us are put into, we're, we're low income, typically compared to the other Asians. But because we're such a small community and we're overlooked <laughs> by the whole community, a lot of times we get disregarded, not disregarded, but people aren't aware that our needs, we have those needs because we're just lumped into a data set that oversees our, our community, if that mm. makes sense. So that's one example, I think, of how data can be biased in, in the data or AI can be biased in the data because a lot of the research and blogs and et cetera, anything on the internet is is only catered to what's popular. So mm, that makes sense. Okay. That's a really interesting example. If nonprofits are trying to figure out like how to dip their toes into AI tools, are there some tools or like productivity tools perhaps in particular, or maybe, maybe even tools that we don't realize are AI that you feel like can help people sort of overcome the fear they might be having around using AI that feels more like technologically complicated or uncertain? I think the safest thing I could recommend or or give as an example is Grammarly. So in a way, Grammarly uses a type of AI. I wanted to use like Siri that came to my head first, but I think a lot of people are still very scared of um, Siri <laughs> and Google Home. Um, but Grammarly is one example of how it uses its own internal data to understand different types of writing style identifying words that you could mean, but you misspelled. So that's very intro level. I think AI using knowledge, knowledge base in, within a platform to make sure that people are writing correctly and grammatically. But I feel peop like people are more comfortable with that because mm. we've been using grammatical tools for, for over maybe 20 plus decades now. So people don't even see it as, as right, a right, AI right. tool yeah. in, in its own way. Yeah. Right, right. It still can feel like spell check that we've been using for a long time, even though it's much exactly. harder than spell check. Exactly. I'm curious, though, like, how do we, I'm a part of um, leading this global summit on fundraising AI and yes. um, and in the process, 
and learning so much myself. I'm not a technologist. I'm not a tech leader. I'm not even somebody who's comfortable with technology, frankly. And um, But the reason that I agreed to support around this is because I understand the that overwhelmed feeling as a nonprofit leader. I feel very protective of this sector. And so, but, but it leaves me with lots of unknowns. So as you were talking about Grammarly, I was like, okay, so how do we know that the data that we're putting in Grammarly or the fact that we're letting Grammarly read all of our content to spell and grammar check it, like it's likely reading information about our donors, especially once it's synced with our email. And what are some things, do you have any suggestions for like quick checks that, um, that nonprofit leaders before they just like add a plug into their computer should do to make sure that the AI tools that they're using are private, responsible, gated, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think that's a hard question just because a lot of those details are in their privacy policy, which mm-hmm. can be pages and pages and pages. But my biggest advice to nonprofits is typically you can just control F search privacy settings. And then typically they they have to outline whether they're sharing data with third party companies or organizations. And then the other thing is a lot of these tech companies too will try to, will if they're good, they will market their privacy rules and preferences. And so that can sometimes be easily found on their website. But if it's not, I would recommend going into the privacy policy Control F, search for privacy, and then typically you can just highlight and see that section. It can be a little overwhelming, but um, I think that's the best way. And sometimes, too, you can um, look at reviews from those platforms as well from other users. And then those platforms like G2, which is a platform review service, well, you can search for specific um comments people have shared. So, and those are great too, because if people have had bad experiences, they'll definitely share their grievances. But I think that's number one, uh, my number one advice. But on that same note with ChatGPT, if you have the paid version, you can actually toggle a setting that will not share or save any of your history. I think most of us know this, some of us may not. And you feed into ChatGPT, it's constantly learning. So it'll feed back into the uh, learning model and then spit it back out. So that's why it's so important to, whenever you're using any any of these tools, try not to use any specific names, addresses. I typically like to put in parentheses or brackets because I can easily identify what I need to update um, Mm. when it's spit out. But I usually put in like donor name, brackets or address bracket and et cetera for any private information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I just Googled while we were talking, even like Grammarly Grammarly privacy policy, because all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like Grammarly, I use it. It's reading all my things. And, you know, and so it is really easy to find information online and third parties writing about different privacy policies for these different companies. So I would really encourage folks to do that and to recognize that with a lot of these tools, you have privacy settings. So it's not just like, 
if you read it online that they offer a certain level of privacy, you also might have to make sure that you have clicked on that level of privacy. Um, and so just making sure, you know, donor data is so sacred. And so I'm even thinking, you know, of course, you know, not putting toner data into chat GPT. I love the parentheses recommendation, but also if you have a tool that's reading your emails, you're like live emails, there is data in there. And so making sure that that is that that is really protected too is so important. You know, I was thinking, I love that you brought up Grammarly as an example. I was thinking that probably one of the main ways nonprofits are using AI and not even necessarily realizing it is Canva. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because I feel like recently a lot of people have been saying, you know, have been talking about AI in our fundraising tools specifically. And I think it's helpful for nonprofits to realize like we have been using AI for a long time in a lot of different ways that have made our lives easier, more productive, et cetera. Um, and so even if you're listening to this and you are like, I'm scared of AI, you probably also are using AI and, and are actually a lot more competent in using it than you realize you are. Um, I just think sometimes like the marketing and the mass media around these types of tech booms freak us out even beyond wh where we already are really capable. Definitely. I agree 100%. <laughs> Have you found like being sort of the tech leader in a nonprofit or, you know, maybe being the person on the team that is more comfortable with the technology what has that been like for you in terms of working with your other team members, advocating for different tools to be used inside your organization? I feel like there are there's a huge range in terms of the adopt the comfort of adopting certain tools inside nonprofits. And there are obvious there are obviously a lot of nonprofits right now who are saying, telling their team members they can't use certain tools because I think of their lack of comfort themselves around it, or perhaps they're, you know, wanting to make sure their staff is really trained up around the responsibility and ethics before they use those tools, which I totally respect. But I'm wondering if you have any advice for that sort of like team communication, ado analysis, adoption piece. Yeah. First, I, I want to mention, and, and thank you for saying that I'm a technology leader. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to advise that I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I don't know any ethics regarding laws or anything like that. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. But also, I'm just an avid user. And like I said, I always love technology. So I'm always trying to get my teammates to adopt these these um, technologies to make their lives easier and frankly, to make my life easier. Um, and so, but I want to preface with the fact that because I, I feel like a lot of individuals everywhere are afraid that, and unfortunately, AI has taken some jobs. Um, and I think a lot of people fear that it's going to continue to take jobs. But I want to remind people that AI is far beyond like close to even identifying with human emotions and human touch. Um, and it's like, so far away from that, that I think it's important for us to focus on optimizing our work, but bringing our whole self as humans to our work. So with that, and I, I bring this up because I've had this discussion with my coworkers, like, oh, I don't want to use it because it might take my job one day. And I think in ways we have to evolve with technology. So 
there may be parts of your job that get taken away, but hopefully there are other parts of your job you love that can't be replaced by AI. Right. And so when I explain that to my coworkers um, that feel that way, I'm hoping that they they try to evolve and learn these new tools so that way they can better their skills and their their work. But I digress. Um, so next, so at my last organization, we actually had a lot of people just they adopted the like Zoom and Google Meet note taking AI. Mm. And I think that was one big tool that everyone like immediately loved because note taking is such a tedious like task and you can't really be present when you're taking notes. And so having tools like I see Mallory, you have one too. Um, mm. It just makes allows you to be more present and really engaging with the people that you're meeting with. And so I think when people like it was actually, I think I started using one and then our CEO started using one and then everyone started adopting that usage. But I think when there there's pushback or people having fears, I think it's important as an organization to come up with um, a, a policies and procedures document in regards to using AI. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, just making sure like we talked about earlier, like not to put in donor information or Mm. client information and really making it so that everyone's aligned on the privacy rules. Cause I think that's the biggest thing. Like people don't know what they don't know. Right. And so Mm -hmm. outlining those things so people understand um, how to use it, I think is like the first step and then getting other people to hop on uh, different platforms and tools, kind of like you mentioned Canva, right? Canva has a lot of AI tools and a lot of people are already using that without their knowledge. So just Mm -hmm. getting the rhythm of using those tools and identifying it as an AI, um, uh, as AI technology, and then maybe trying little other platforms like trying ChatGBT, um, asking it simple questions, um, and then seeing how you feel then. But I think the biggest thing too is just talking to your colleagues and people who are using it, because I think the more you discuss it and your concerns, the more you'll feel better about implementing and using that mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. That is such good advice. Is there anything, I know we're almost out of time. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you about um, AI and nonprofits that you want to make sure people know? Mm-hmm. I think I covered most of what I wanted to mention, but if possible, I'd love to add that if anyone needs help in trying to implement it or um, get other organi- or their their staff on board on AI, I, I lead some workshops on it, um, very intro level, um, and I customize it to that nonprofit just to gauge their comfortability. So, yeah. Great. Yes. Please tell people where they can go to follow you, learn more, work with you. Where should they head? Yeah. Uh, my website is hello, H-E-L-L-O, I'm Dina.com. You can find my workshops on there or just connect with me on LinkedIn, um, Dina Vong Chen. And um, yeah. Amazing. Dina, thank you so much for your time today and sharing all of your wisdom with us. I am so grateful. And I'm super grateful, Mallory, for for having me. I, um, when you reached out, I was like super giddy, and um, you're just so easy to talk to. So thank you so much. You made this super easy and casual, and it was nice chatting with you. So good chatting with you. 
I hope today's episode inspired or challenged you to think differently. For additional takeaways, tips, show notes, and more about our amazing guests and sponsors, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. And if you didn't know, hosting this podcast isn't the only thing I do. Every day I coach, guide, and help fundraisers and leaders just like you inside of my program, The Power Partners Formula Collective. Inside the program, I share my methods, tools, and experiences that have helped me fundraise millions of dollars and feel good about myself in the process. To learn more about how I can help you, visit MalloryErickson.com backslash powerpartners. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to encourage you to share it with a friend you know would benefit or leave a review. I'm so grateful for all of you and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. I can't wait to see you in the next episode.